if you brought uh, your bottles back, uh, just throw them on the stage before you go. These are CareNet Fundraiser. And you guys are like, oh, crap, I forgot. Yeah, just come and get it, bring it back. we got two more services. I'm going to pass out before we hit them all, I'll tell you that. Uh, like I said, we, are, we did hit four services. Today is first time. Uh, first service, I was actually very happy. People actually came at, at god-awful early in the morning. Uh, can you say that in church? I don't know. Uh, the, um, I was actually going to get up here and yell at you because I heard a lot of people were going to come to the 10 o'clock and it's not full. So good for you. You guys are great. There's seats. Now you guys get your chance to fill those back up. And then we'll have to like move at some point because we'll just fill it up. So you guys are doing great. Uh, I was told to mention these trees. We know they look terrible. Okay. We, we, I know. We know that they look dead. But we're trying to remedy the situation. They said they told us when we bought this you couldn't kill them. So they're supposed to. We, they're supposed to come out this week and look at them. And I can go. We killed them. <laughs> so maybe they'll do something. I, I thought about on this one that we would just cut this thing off the top and stick like a little plant on top or something. Then it would be cool. No, they actually said they don't. They said they don't need a light. The only thing they need is they need to be watered frequently. When we first got them, they said uh, they didn't even need to be watered, but every two weeks. And then the guy who owns the place said, oh, no, you've got to water them all the time. So now we're watering it all the time and draining it through. and We kill plants, whatever. That's, that's, that's what we do. They're beautiful. Really? Yeah. It must be concrete buildings or something. I don't know. Uh, your guys' job is to say hi to people when you're out walking around doing stuff. We have a guy who's been coming here about a month. No one's actually ever said hi to him. Yeah, exactly. Shame on you. What's your problem? Me too. But, you know. <laughs> but I was like, what? Real? Yeah. So make sure if you guys see people you don't know, if you're here new and you don't know anybody, well, good. Say hi to other people because everybody here is kind of new. So just say hi to everybody. Um, last thing before we start, I want to tell you guys this. We are uh, in, in the process of trying to hire somebody, and I'm going to throw this out there to you. We, we can't pay a lot because obviously we're broke and all, but uh, we are trying to hire somebody like part-time to oversee children's ministries. Uh, to give a cohesive whole to our children's ministries. We have a lot of great volunteers doing a lot of stuff, but it would be really nice to have somebody to oversee it in such a way that it has a common vision that, that kind of goes along with who Element is, meaning a, a missional church in the way that we want kids from the time they're very little all the way till adults till the time they die to understand that we are God's ambassadors to the world and every place that we live, we are God's hands and feet too. And church isn't just a place you come to, but, but church is a body of people living for the gospel of Christ. And so we want kids to get that. And so if you know somebody who has skills like that, who has some experience and wants a tiny bit of money, <laughs> uh, have them come and talk to me and we will... We have some ideas too about some people we're thinking of, but uh, the board wanted me to throw that out to you guys. So if you know somebody, we can kind of work that way. I think I got all my stuff. Da, 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 da. Yes. Okay. Stay on me. Reading God's word. This is Matthew sixteen fifteen, and it says this, But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Let's pray. Father, this morning, I ask that we would be people who understand like Peter does. And when you say to us, who do you say that I am, we would answer rightly. And when other people ask us who you are, we could live in such a way that they see you, but also speak the words of who you are, that we would know deep in our souls the truth of you. Amen. Have a seat. 
We are going through the Gospel of John till hell freezes over. There's an insight. Actually, my, my friend Jean Hunquist and I were talking about this last week, and she goes, you always make fun of this. And I know I make fun of it. That's because it's fun. But really, I don't care how long it takes us. It, it's all good. So we're going to be here for a while. Uh, the theme today is essentially who is Jesus and what did Jesus understand about himself, which is a good question. If you have a Bible open to John chapter 7. Uh, today, you can really go to any college or university and take a class that's called the Bible as Literature. In this class, they actually try to kill Jesus over and over and over. You can also take classes called the Bible's Effect on Western Literature. You can take classes on the Bible as Communication. Uh, you can even take classes on philosophy. Uh, when I, I was introduced in my philosophy class to a guy named Soren Kierkegaard, who today I love. I love Soren Kierkegaard. He's a philosopher, but he's also, he also loved Jesus. My professor who taught the class, though, was an angry hippie, as most philosophy teachers are. He had curled yellow pages in, in his little book that he taught out of because he taught the same class the same way since like 1918, and he hated Jesus. He said things like, uh, Jesus was big in the 60s, and that's why there were all the homeless people with long hair, because he obviously hated Jesus. He also thinks they were all clueless. Uh, you can take anthropology and sociology and music theory, auto shop. You can take welding. In every single one of these classes, all of my teachers said something about Jesus, and it just wasn't when they hit their finger with a hammer. It seems kind of like everything out there in some way comes back to Jesus. So we as Christians also need to come to the point and figure out what we think about Jesus. When you read the things that Jesus actually said, you realize that all the confusion in the world isn't really that confusing when you simply read the things Jesus actually said. He's not as confusing as people try to make things. He's actually pretty clear. And what you'll see today is that Jesus speaks. He says some words. And, and I think that, again, he is, like I said, pretty clear. And any idea and any theory that's ever been out there is just kind of been recycled from the Da Vinci Code to Angels and Demons. There's really no new, new great question that has not actually been asked before and actually answered. Every once in a while, you do get a bizarre twist. I'll give you two. Uh, in the 60s, uh, there was this thing called the Mushroom Cult. Anybody heard of the Mushroom Cult? You're all... Anyway, no? Okay, I guess we're all too young for that. Good. Nobody's been a part of it. That's good. Uh, they had an idea that when the Bible says accept Jesus, receive Jesus, what talks about Jesus, it really means hallucinogenic mushrooms. Yeah, good. That's like a bad drinking game with, with mushrooms. That, that's how it works. And so when you read these things, you would, oh, accept Jesus, receive Jesus. You would, you would take mushrooms, you'd sit on the ground in altered states, and there you go. Worship the colors and stuff. Mark Driscoll writes about the Canadian nudist arsonist cult. These are naked French-speaking Canadians who like to set things on fire in Jesus' name. <laughs> don't Google it. <laughs> Image search. You know, don't do that. That'd, that'd be terrible. If, you, if you're not really in context kind of person, you might get Adam and Eve were naked, God's a consuming fire, we're naked Christian arsonists. Woo! You know, I, whatever. Uh, as a preacher, I get to hear all kinds of stuff after messages, especially like the one today. I usually get people who come up and they say, well, I got my own ideas about Jesus. And I'm like, great, give them to me. It's great sermon fodder. You know, just let me, let me have them. It's, it's wonderful. I like to hear what he says. I think Jesus has heard it all, just like kind of I think I've heard it all too. It's amazing that even when Jesus stands in front of people and talks about who he is, they still don't get it. So John chapter 7, verse 1, this is where we go. After this, uh, this is after Jesus whittles the disciples down to 25,000 to 12. After this, Jesus was walking around Galilee, because apparently now he can, uh, purposely staying away from Judea because the Jews were there waiting to take his life. Now, we looked at this before. Uh, I got a map. 
And on the map, you see Judea's on the bottom, Galilee's on the top, Samaria's in the middle. And you had one governmental system that was over everything, but each section actually had their own governors. So if you got in trouble in one place, you could go to the other place and you could still be okay. And we have this romanticized notion that Jesus is just this happy hippie in sandals and everybody just loved him. Well, from here you realize that's not true because there are some people who wanted to kill him. Their agenda is to murder Jesus because of the things that he teaches. So then it says, but when the Jewish feast of tabernacles was near... Again, I'll give you a little bit of background. There are three major feasts uh, in the Jewish calendar. They are Passover, Pentecost, and the Feast of Tabernacles. The Feast of Tabernacles was an eight-day event where Israel would have a large celebration where they remembered their freedom from bondage and slavery in Egypt, and they would stay in tents or tabernacles or booths. And so this reminded them of when they were wandering in the wilderness, they stayed in these tents and reminded them that God brought them out during the Exodus. So during this, Jesus' brothers said to him, You ought to leave here and go to Judea so that your disciples may see the miracles you do. No one who wants to become a public figure acts in secret. Since you are doing these things, show yourself to the world. What they say is, if you think you're God, leave the house. Go tell people who you are. They're being very sarcastic because it says, for even his own brothers did not believe in him. Show yourself to the world. Here's a little side note. If you were raised Catholic, this can be very disturbing for you because you get told that Mary, Jesus' mom, was a virgin. This was true for the birth of Christ, but as Catholics, you're also taught that she remained a virgin her entire life. Now, as a little boy that's cute, as a married man, that's troubling because it's great for a man to marry a virgin, but 10 years into the marriage, you want that position to actually change. <laughs> Amen, guys? Okay, you want, you want that to change. You know, and so a little junior high school Catholic girl's going, oh, yeah, I want to be like Mary and get married and then be a virgin forever. I am surprised that Catholic boys are not riding in the streets going, no, what are you teaching these girls? Good news, Mary wasn't a virgin her entire life. Mark 6.3 says, Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? So Jesus has at least four brothers and a couple sisters. But what John wants you to see is that even his own brothers did not believe him. It's got to be hard evangelizing your family. It's hard for us sometimes when your family doesn't believe and you try and tell them about Jesus. Imagine Jesus' job. I'm God. Worship me. That's got to be very difficult. I think he's just wild as later. Actually, Jesus' brothers did believe. James becomes the head of the early church in Jerusalem. He is martyred for worshiping his brother. Uh, James writes a book of the New Testament. Jesus' other brother, Jude, writes a book of the New Testament. Early in the book of Acts, you see his mom worship him. But at this point, the Jews want him dead and his brothers disbelieve. Verse 6, Therefore Jesus told them, The right time for me has not yet come. For you, any time is right. Because you can come and go as you want, but they want to kill me. He's got to wait for the Father's timing. The world cannot hate you. This is because you act like the world. It's like, ouch. It says that to us sometimes as well. But it hates me because I testify that what it does is evil. This is not like passive indifference. This is like hate. They want to get rid of Jesus' words. Like even today, they still try and get rid of the words that he spoke and twist them so they say what they want him to actually say. He says, you go to the feast. I am not yet going up to this feast because for me, the right time has not yet come. Having said this, he stayed in Galilee. Verse 10, however, after his brothers had left for the feast, he went also, not publicly, but in secret. Because apparently the right time was after his brothers left, and he could go in secret, so the father says, go now. Verse 11, now at the feast, the Jews were watching for him and asking, where is that man? 
So they're looking for him. Among the crowds, there was widespread whispering about him. Some said, he is a good man. Oh, he's, he's a good guy. Others replied, no, he deceives the people. He's a liar. But no one would say anything publicly about him for fear of the Jews. So the, the Jewish leaders at this point, they had not actually rendered a verdict publicly about Jesus. Secretly, they want him dead. And so there's people here, and they have all these speculations and opinions, but no one's saying anything publicly. Verse 14. Not until halfway through the feast, so that's four days through, did Jesus go up to the temple courts and begin to teach. The Jews were amazed and asked, how did this man get, how did this man get such learning without having studied? They say the same thing about Jesus' disciples in Acts 4.13. It says, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. So his disciples get this wisdom from who Jesus is. The issue of the Jews and the religious leaders here is Jesus didn't teach in the name of any rabbi. What you would do when you went through Jewish schools of Bet Sefer, Bet Midrash, Bet Talmud, you would teach how a teacher taught before you. You would teach in the name of. And so you'd go out and you would say, in the name of Rabbi so-and-so, and you would teach the way this guy taught and to be the name of this rabbi. Jesus was revolutionary in that he taught on his own. There were very few rabbis who actually did that. It works like this. Basically, there were commentators, and these commentators would commentate on the scriptures. Then the teachers would teach about the commentators and their comments, and the students would then talk about their teachers and their comments about the commentators. Are you confused? Exactly. No one's really talking about the scriptures. You're three to four people removed from the scriptures themselves. It's like Paul, and then Augustine, Luther, and then Aaron. And all of a sudden, I start talking about Calvin and Luther and what they said about Augustine, but I never go back to Paul and never go back to Jesus, which is where everything is supposed to go. Jesus. The teachers of the law would argue about all these interpretations and not really deal with the scriptures themselves. And when Jesus came, he taught about the scriptures. He didn't get up and he said, now here's seven people's opinions on this. He opened the scriptures and said, this is what God says. This is what you should do. In Matthew 7, 20, it says the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. Like, we never heard anybody teach like this guy. Like, we hear a lot of professors say so-and-so and, you know, but not any, thus says the Lord. Jesus shows up and Jesus is like, God says X, you do Y or you get Z. That's how it rolls. That's what he does. They're only used to so-and-so says this and so-and-so says that. Jesus speaks like no other teacher. And they want to know, well, who's your rabbi? Where'd you go to school? What's your seminary? Where's your master's degree from? Uh, Philippians chapter 2 says Jesus humbled himself in taking on human likeness. In Luke 2, it says Jesus grew in wisdom. And so I don't think he came out of the chute or the womb okay, knowing everything, but he humbled himself like us and he learned. He devoted himself to memory and scripture and learning. I am not knocking books. I, I read commentaries a lot. I read a lot of books. But if you only read commentaries about God's Word and never read God's Word, you're going to miss the point. Because we will start to argue about what people say about God and not what God has actually said. That's the problem with your teachers. Sometimes it's a lot more fun to live in the realm of theory and leave it all out here rather than realizing that God has spoken. He demands obedience from us as his kids. Have you ever met somebody who, who really kind of has a gift like this? They never formally study, but they have a really deep grasp of Scripture. I mean, that's a gift from God. I'm not knocking formal education, but some people have a gift. Formal education does not mean that somebody gets to speak for God. I got an email from one of my friends um, the week I was writing this. And they said, oh, our, our teaching pastor in our church uh, has a book list, and isn't it so wonderful? And they sent this to me. And so I, I, I read through the book list, and I was like, eek! Half the books were from mystics and open theists. 
which, which is bad, okay? <laughs> I'll just give that to you in case you don't know. And, and it's like nobody realized this. This guy went to school, he's got a PhD, and he's telling people to read this stuff that, I mean, has no qualifiers on it. Be careful when you read this because it says this or that. I, one, one of the biggest problems I typically run into with people is I have a higher view of Scripture than a lot of people do. Uh, I believe Jesus is top of the food chain. I have what's called a high Christology. Jesus is, boom, top dog. That's it. I think the biggest problem today in the American church is pastors that will not simply go to the Scriptures. And they just read commentator after commentator and not realize what the Scripture says. There are people, I think, who have PhDs in theology today who will go to hell and God will use that PhD paper they wrote as the kindling. Okay. You're like, ouch! That's right. Knowledge of Scripture, love of God, character, submission to God is what makes a good teacher. That's what makes a good teacher. Jesus shows up and he says, this is what God says, then this is what you should do. And they said, well, where'd you go to school? Because they're jealous. They're jealous of him because people actually listen to him. Verse 16, Jesus answered, my teaching is not my own. It comes from him who sent me. It means from the Father. If anyone chooses to do God's will, last week we looked at God's will in 629 was repenting of sin and believing in Jesus. If anyone chooses to do God's will, he will find out whether my teaching comes from God or whether I am speaking on my own. Jesus says you will only get this when you repent and you have faith and you believe and live according to the scriptures. That's when you get it. And this is the exact opposite of what our world teaches. He says, He who speaks on his own does so to gain honor for himself, but he who works for the honor of the one who sent him is a man of truth, because he's doing it for God. There is nothing false about him. Verse 19, Has not Moses given you the law, yet not one of you keeps the law? Why are you trying to kill me? Didn't Moses say something about don't murder, and yet you guys are trying to kill me? He goes, forget your commentary. Let's talk practical. Remember Moses? This tweaks freaky weirdos all the time when you walk up to somebody and you say forget about your epistemology or ecclesiology or eschatology and let's just talk about loving god and loving your neighbor and helping those in need because our philosophy and our theology should always end up in how we live how we walk upon this earth and these when jesus says this they respond like a kid who doesn't know how to fight they respond verse 20 you're demon possessed i love it they're like jesus and they're all you're demon possessed you know, they don't want to hear it anymore. Like, grr, who's trying to kill you? Jesus said, I did one miracle and you are all astonished. He's like, I did one thing. You know what this one thing was? Back in the previous chapter, or previous chapter five, and when Jesus goes and he heals the guy at the pool, he heals on the Sabbath, and they're still angry about that. They're still going after him for that. Because he healed on the Sabbath. Verse 22, I did one miracle and you are all astonished. Yet because Moses gave you circumcision, though it actually did not come from Moses, but from the patriarchs, you circumcised a child on the Sabbath. Because you want to be mad about something, be mad about that. <laughs> Just, sorry. Um, <laughs> now, if a child can be circumcised on the Sabbath, so that the law of Moses may not be broken, why are you angry with me for healing the whole man on the Sabbath? A kid gets circumcised on the Sabbath, the eighth day, no matter what day, you know, if it's the Sabbath, you, you circumcise him. Jesus heals someone crippled for 30 years on the Sabbath. He goes, how is it not okay for me to heal somebody, and yet it's okay for you to circumcise a kid on that Sabbath? You know what they have had to have said to him? Well, it's not in the law, but our commentators say. That's what they would have had to say. You're not allowed, the commentators say you're not allowed to heal on the Sabbath unless it's a matter of life and death. They're commentators. Interesting, huh? Well, you're supposed to say yes. It's really interesting. I think. Jesus wants to love people and demonstrate God's glory. And they are mad and they want to kill him. So Jesus says this. Stop judging by mere appearances and make a right 
judgment. Because the tendency is religious people to become very full of hypocrisy and look at people and start to judge people. And Jesus says you can't look sometimes at what you see and make a judgment. You have to be more involved than that. I believe if people claim to be believers as friends, we do need to step into their lives sometimes and say, you know what, you're screwed up, knock it off, and there does need to be a little bit of judgment on their actions. But you have to be involved. You can't just stand on the outside and be like, oh, I don't like that or that or what. You need to figure out what's going on in people's lives. Christianity today has developed into this culture where you become a Christian, you take on certain cultural forms. You know, sometimes it's like guys need to wear polo shirts that are like lemon yellow. You know, you put a fish on your car and you cover your tattoos and you say words like praise God and Jesus and you get a haircut and you read left behind books and you wear this type of t-shirt. And when a person or a church comes along that's a little bit different, they get labeled and judged and they say, well, you don't really love God. That's actually been leveled against element by a few people. And you know what? I teach right out of the Bible. I, I don't get it. I, I wore black. A while ago, I went to the I went to do a wedding. I wore you know black suit, black pants, black shoes, dress shoes, not tennis shoes, black socks, black shirt, and I thought I looked kind of hip. So I, I I go I even wore cologne, so which is amazing. And so I go to this wedding and I get done and I'm and I'm standing by one of the tables and this lady starts talking to me and she she says you know pastor shouldn't wear black. And I go, where did that come from? You know, and I go, well, what do you think? She goes, Pastor should wear white. Black, look, black looks evil. It symbolizes death. You should wear white. I'm like, what the heck? <laughs> you know how racist that sounds? You know, I like black. I like white too. But I don't need to dress like a screen at a drive-in movie theater to be godly. <laughs> we did this tattoo show last year. Boy, you guys are slow today. <laughs> I think. I did, we did this tattoo show last year, and sometimes people judge people that have tattoos just to judge them. They don't even know them. They just start judging them. Uh, I'll tell you, my friend Saban, he reaches out to addicts, runs a Bible study. He probably reaches more people than you and I probably ever will, and he's covered with tattoos. I, I would say like a crack house is covered in a newspaper, but he's covered with tattoos. <laughs> One of them I got to do. It's beautiful. <laughs> And people say things like, well, you don't have a, you don't have a fish on your car. And, and I'm like, right. I don't have a fish in my car. I should, I should, guys, honestly, the last thing you want is your pastor passing you on the freeway with his finger out the window and cutting you off with a fish on his car. It's the last thing you want. Trust me. <laughs> Not that I would ever do that. Okay. Okay. Th- these same type of things happen to Christ. He doesn't act like us. He doesn't dress like He doesn't speak like a good rabbi. Well, he was. He was God. Like someone should educate God then because he's just not getting it right. Verse 25. At that point, some of the people in Jerusalem began to ask, isn't this the man they are trying to kill? Everyone's talking tough, but no one's going after him. It's like a group of guys. They all get together and they talk all tough. And then when they're like, they're all alone. They're like a yappy dog. They're like, oh, and they just kind of run away on their own thing. Here he is speaking publicly and they are not saying a word to him. Before he shows up, like, where's that guy? We're going to get that guy. Bring where, Where'd that guy go? And they're like, oh, he's right there. And they're like, okay. And they kind of just walk away. They, they, they let it go. I, do that. I always lose my place when I do that. Um, have the authorities really concluded that he is the Christ? But we know where this man is from. When the Christ comes, no one will know where he is from. So when the Messiah comes, no one will know where he is from. Does the Bible say that? No. Where do they get it? They're commentators. They're commentators. So you guys are getting this. Well, I was reading this rapture book by Tim LaHaye, and it says, blah. trust me, don't believe everything you read, unless it's in the Bible. Then you believe it. Verse 28, 
Then Jesus, still teaching in the temple courts, cried out, Yes, you know me, and you know where I am from. I am not here on my own, but he who sent me is true. You do not know him, but I know him because I am from him, and he sent me. Because you don't know what I'm talking about because you don't know the Father. Verse 30, At this they tried to seize him, but no one laid a hand on him because his time had not yet come. don't know how. It's probably a miracle of some sort. Still, many of the crowd put their faith in him, meaning some believed. They said, When the Christ comes, will he do more miraculous signs than this man? The Messiah works miracles, and Jesus works miracles. He fits the profile. We believe. We believe. Verse 32, the Pharisees heard the crowd whispering such things about him. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees, the religious professionals of the day, sent temple guards to arrest him because they got to shut him up. Jesus said, I am with you for only a short time, and then I go to the one who sent me. You will look for me, but you will not find me, and where I am you cannot come. The Jews said to one another, where does this man intend to go that we cannot find him? Will we go where our people live scattered among the Greeks and teach the Greeks? It's like, will we leave and hide and go run to these people over here so that we can, you know, so we can't find him anymore? Jesus is actually talking about his death, his burial, and his resurrection. He says, what did he mean when he said, you will look for me, but you will not find me, and where I am, you cannot come? Verse 37, on the last and greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice. Now, I'll give you the background on his as best I can here. For each of the first seven days of this feast, of this feast of tabernacles, what would happen is the priest would walk forward. He would quote from Ezekiel, and he'd quote from Zechariah about streams of living water that God would pour out on his people to remind them that while the Israelites were in the wilderness, when they were traveling through the desert, God provided water from a rock. Moses struck the rock, water would pour out. 1 Corinthians 10.4 says that rock was Christ. The water is symbolic of the Holy Spirit being poured out for refreshment and for nourishment, for cleansing of sin. And as Christ gets struck, streams of living water are going to get poured out. At his death, when he was struck, the Holy Spirit is poured out to us. Streams of living water, the Spirit flows in abundance. Now, this goes all the way back to John chapter 4, when Jesus promises the woman at the well. You know, one, you, you want springs of living water flowing out? You believe in me. The Spirit will dwell on us, cleanses of our sin, teaches and guide us. And so on this greatest day of the feast, seven days, the priest comes out and he does this. He pours out this water, quotes you know, the, these Ezekiel and Zechariah, and he's talking about streams of living water. Jesus stands up on the greatest day of the feast and says, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Is Jesus clear about who he thinks he is? Completely. Whoever believes in how you drink is belief. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow out from within him. Clear. By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time the Spirit had not been given, since Jesus had not yet been glorified. So the Spirit up to this point was available and he's still doing his work, but he wasn't residing in people, as Ephesians 1 says he now does. And you love I do, how Jesus says, as the scriptures has said, as the scriptures have said. You know what Jesus essentially just said to these guys? Your commentators suck. <laughs> That's what he just told them. Verse 40, on hearing his words, everyone starts to chime in. Some of the people said, surely this man is the prophet. This goes to Deuteronomy 18 where Moses promises that after him a prophet will come that is like him. Others said he is the Christ, he's the Messiah. Still others said, how can the Christ come from Galilee? So Jesus sets up his ministry base in Galilee, but was he from Galilee? No. Where's he from? Where's he born? Bethlehem. Bethlehem. Where's he raised? Nazareth. He says, does not the scripture say that the Christ will come from David's family and from Bethlehem, the town where David lived? So the, these people, that once again, they're not making a right judgment. They're not actually looking into who Christ is. 
They're listening to everybody else, and they got their commentators and not figuring out how these things go together. Micah 5 2 says this, But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. In Isaiah chapter 9, it says the Messiah would be a blessing to Galilee. They read the Old Testament books, and they listen to their commentators. They don't check out Jesus, and then they go, Well, he doesn't really match. He doesn't really match. It's like talking to a Mormon Jehovah's Witness today. I had a, I did Jehovah's Witness come to my door a little bit ago. I love that, by the way. So if you have any friends, send them over. Uh, and, and we're talking, getting the subject of Jesus, and we're talking for a while. And we get to the end of our conversation, and I say, okay, I want you to answer me something. And I open to John 20, 28. And, then, and this is where Thomas, who is doubting, sticks his finger in the hole in Jesus' hand and his fist in his side. And, and Thomas goes, my Lord and my God. And this would be a great time for Jesus to clear up any confusion. Okay. Right here. And what does Jesus say? Blessed are you because you believe. And he said, blessed are those who have not seen and yet still believe. And so I asked this. I, I go, what do you think that means? So he pulls out this little brown book. It's called Reasoning from the Scriptures. I actually have one. Um, and I go, don't tell me what your commentators tell you to tell me. I said, what do you think that means? He goes, well, and I go, stop flipping in the book. What do you think that means? As he's backing down my driveway. And I'm walking after him. <laughs> and he wouldn't answer the question. Because I know what his commentators will tell him to say. But the thing is, Jesus was very clear. They never came back to my house, by the way, just, just to let you know. They open the Bible and they listen to the commentator. Well, well, he doesn't match. They don't understand. Verse 43, thus the people were divided because of Jesus, just like today. Some wanted to seize him, but no one laid a hand on him. Finally, the temple guards went back to the chief priests and Pharisees who asked them, why didn't you bring him in? The religious leaders, they're totally cowards. They, they won't confront Jesus themselves. Uh, the guards come back without Jesus, and they're like, hey, we pay you so we can be cowards. You, know, you should, should go, go arrest him. And you know, why didn't you get him? And this is their answer. It's great. No one ever spoke the way this man does, the guards declared. They're like, you've got to hear this guy teach. We've heard you guys teach forever, and you drone on. But when this guy teach, it's the words of God. It's amazing. And their response, verse 47, you mean he has deceived you too? They just will not believe. Has any of the rulers of the Pharisees believed in him? No. Like, we are smarter than Jesus. We don't bow down. You're a stupid commoner, and you think you have the right to believe in and have faith in what you want? You should listen to us. It says, but this mob that knows nothing of the law, there is a curse on them. So they start calling names again. There's a problem because they believe that they are wiser than Jesus. You know what the key to the wisdom is? Love of God. Love of God. 1 Corinthians 8 one says, knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. I mean, this is the thing. When people study and they don't love God, they become very arrogant and very obstinate. The goal of studying Scripture is not about out-quoting each other. It's about loving God and loving our neighbor and serving people. Anytime our studies no longer have love of God in mind, we miss the point and it becomes idolatry. And this is the problem of God in every age, not just then, but even in our own. If you study the book, you will end up loving Jesus because the book is about Jesus. In verse 50, so Nicodemus, who had gone to Jesus earlier, this is in John chapter 3, and who was one of their own number, asked. Now, Nicodemus seems like a teachable guy. Does our law condemn anyone without first hearing him out uh, what he is doing? Seems like a reasonable question, right? Can we condemn him without talking to him? We haven't even met the guy. They replied, are you from Galilee too? Golly, it's like, get over yourself. They say, look into it and you will find that a prophet does not come out of Galilee. Are you on his side now? You know, they say, God can't do that because we said so. 
And this all takes place because Jesus heals one guy on the Sabbath. And this is what he gets. Lucky him. Now, I want you to notice that there are 13, maybe more, different reactions, but 13 that I see, uh, reactions to who Jesus is. Um, and you can go to Borders or Barnes and Noble, wherever you want, and people still write books about this and talk about this even today. We still do every single one of these. Number one, the religious leaders want him dead. Some people just want Jesus dead. Christians sometimes want Jesus dead because God is too free. We're like, oh, no, he's got to fit in our box, so, so we want him dead. The second response is some respond in unbelief. Well, that's weird. I don't, I don't like what he says there. Third thing, some people respond and they hate him. They can't stand his name. Oh, Jesus, he's a crutch. They can't stand him. Fourth way, some people think he's just a nice guy. Oh, he's a really nice guy. He's something special, but there's a lot of other special people too. The fifth way, some people say he's a liar. Oh, he's deceiving people. He's leading people astray. He's setting up a cult. The sixth way, some people were amazed at his teaching. They don't follow him. They don't put faith in him. You know, but, but they like his teaching. This is very popular today. People study Jesus, not to follow him, but deconstruct and twist what he says for their own ends. Especially happens in religious circles. Uh, number seven, some people say he's a simple peasant. The Jesus Seminar, this group of guys, comes about 2,000 years after Jesus and says, well, you can't believe everything Jesus says because he's just a simple peasant. Eighth way, some people say he's possessed. Oh, he's evil. He doesn't work for God. Number nine, some people want to silence him, throw him in jail, make him be quiet. Send the temple guards. Happens to God, God's people all throughout the ages. They want to silence them. Tenth way, and, and you, be a number ten, okay? Some come in faith. And these are usually the common people, the guards, the simple folk who just go, man, that sounds like God to me. The eleventh people respond is some people think he's a prophet. This is what Muslims actually say. Jesus was a prophet. He's not God, not the last of the prophets. In history, there's been a succession of prophets that ended in 570 A.D. with the prophet Muhammad. But Jesus was a prophet too. He's just a prophet. Twelfth way, some people say he's a political messiah. This is what's called uh, liberationist theology or communist theology. Very popular in South Central America today. Thirteenth uh, way, some people say he's a magician. They hang out just to watch the miracles. It's like New Age circles. Men like Deepak Chopra, the people from Hindu backgrounds, what they do is they, is they grab a little bit of teaching of what Jesus says and they begin to twist it. Jesus, and they say Jesus was connected to his, his inner self. Uh, he was able to self-actualize his potential and that is how he was able to heal people. And if you're connected to your inner divine self, you can do this as well. And we're back to where we started. There is a huge amount of insanity surrounding Jesus and who he is. Jesus asks the question that is very, very pertinent for everybody in Matthew 16, 15. Who do you say that I am? You can't quote other people, especially people like Oprah or the guys in the bookstore. Who do you say that I am? What's your answer? Because when you die and resurrect, Jesus is going to say, who do you or who did you say that I am? And you cannot say, well, Oprah said, because God's going to say, well, I saw Oprah an hour ago and we sent her south along with Ford and Nietzsche. Who do you say that I am? Hours full of it today, I know. Who do you say that I am? At some point, it has to leave this mental gymnastics people do, and it has to penetrate your heart, and you must throw yourself before him and believe. Augustine said this. He goes, I have never heard a philosopher say, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. No philosopher promises to give you freedom and forgiveness of sins and eternal life. That's an issue of authority. Only Christ has authority over sin. Only Christ has authority over forgiveness. Only Christ has authority over you. And you will figure out much in your life when you answer the question, Who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? Teacher, preacher, healer, liar, possessed, uneducated peasant, God of all? 
Jesus was very clear about who he was. We need to be clear. Eventually, the Jewish leaders, they get their way. They, they actually kill Jesus. But the irony, and God just loves irony, is that in that moment when they kill him, he atones for the sin of all people. He is punished on our behalf. 2 Corinthians 5.21, he became sin who knew no sin so that we can become the righteousness of God. Martin Luther calls this the great transference, our sin for his perfection. Three days later, he rises from the dead. 1 Corinthians 15 says, according to the scriptures, Christ proved that all he said about himself was true. He appears to more than 500 people, including his own brother who comes to believe in him and worship him as God. Amazing. Resurrection. The resurrection takes John chapter 7 and puts the whole thing together and makes you go, wow, he rose from the dead. He really didn't know what he was saying. And today, Jesus' question again is, who do you say that I am? Because we need to stop quoting people and we need to stand on our own feet and we must address who Jesus is, our great God and Savior. And if you know Jesus this morning and you answer that question rightly, then you get to respond in worship in faith that's one of the reasons we come to communion every single week (laughs) it's one of the reasons we come to communion every single week because it reminds us that Jesus died for us that he was true to his promises that he was true of who he claimed to be so you break that cracker and you dip it in the wine or you dip it in the grape juice which reminds us of his blood that was shed for us and we respond and rejoice and worship and this morning if you don't know Jesus we also worship God through prayer there's some elders that will be in the back of the room that would love to pray with you. Elders and deacons both in the back of the room that would love to pray with you. And then, if, and then introduce you to who Jesus is. And then maybe you also get to rejoice and respond in worship. And worship God through song. The band's going to come back up. They're going to do some songs. And this is, helps us to refocus and set our lives so that we remember who God is. And how he longs to redeem and love you and I. Worship God through giving. There's offering boxes on the side wall in the back of the room, and we give because God gave to us. And we worship God through fellowship, where we talk to each other, and we, and we get to know each other, and we hang out with each other. And then you and I, again, get to walk into this world that's totally confused about how Jesus is. And we have an answer. We have an answer. You know, all the confusion and insanity that's out there, Jesus cuts through the garbage. And he gives us an answer. And you can have one. You can have one about who he is. We've got to be honest about that. And how we live. And how we worship. And how we love. Who Jesus is. And who he calls us to be as his people. Let's pray. Father, this morning, I ask that you would help us to rightly answer that question. Who are you? God, that our, our love of you would be based in the person of who you are. That God, as you have taken and given us much grace by saving us, that we in turn would focus on who you are as our great God and Savior. You would have us be those who though the world is completely confused about you, that we would be clear. That we would be people who who could rise up and live so people would see the answer of you. Have us cling to you and your goodness and your grace and answer like Peter that you are the Christ.
the Son of the living God. And we love you. Amen.